Well, I don't know if uh, you grew up in a family like mine, but I grew up in a very divided family when it came to what restaurant we were going to eat at. Anybody else like me? Grow Okay. Um, I remember, you know, we'd be on like a trip or on the road or something. So uh, my parents would say, hey, we're going to stop for food. And uh, me and my two sisters, all right, we always had a different idea about where we should go. It was always, no, I want this or I want to go here. I don't like that. You know, you'd hear that from my sisters. I don't like that place. And I remember uh, growing up, especially when when we were young, my dad held pretty strong, okay? And he would say stuff like, we're going to a restaurant. All right, it's first world problems. If you can't find, you got the whole restaurant at your disposal, it's an issue if you can't find one thing that you like. You know, and so we'd go to one place and someone would be mad or two of us would be mad and the rest of us would be so happy because we won, you know. And, uh, but as the years grew on and as we grew older, um, we broke him. <laughs> and uh, we ended up, like throughout our teenage years, all I remember is when we'd stop at a place, we'd stop at like three places for lunch. Okay, everybody got what they wanted, two or three. Everybody got what they wanted and uh, because we were all divided. Now, any, any of you guys have that issue within your family like today? Okay, a few of you. Come on, Tiffin. All right, you Tiffin people are the exact same way on food. Reno's or Napoli's. You know, everybody's got, their, everybody's got their thing. All right, people land on one side or the other. It divides families. It divides husband and wife, brothers and sisters. It divides our church. All right, uh, Paulette's or Rosie's. Uh, the new kid on the block, Casa Express or Old Faithful, the Mexican restaurant in the mall. Okay, I know how you people are. Um, a little Hugo's or Shake Shack, Duncan or Tim Hortons, I hear is a big one. And some of you guys, you're sitting there, you're like, I don't like any of those. I shop local because that's what we should be doing. Okay, well, you do your local thing. That's totally fine too. I don't care. I'm just pointing out we are divided. See, we are naturally divided on a lot of things. Right? But a lot of things that we're naturally divided on, they just don't matter in the long run. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to talk about something else that divides us. Not just our families, and not just dividing our communities, but actually divides the whole world. And our world is divided on who Jesus is. All right? And that matters. Uh, last week, we were introduced to a new series um, where we're going to be, for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be going through uh, the book of Colossians in the New Testament, or the letter of Colossians, really. And uh, we're going to be talking about what Paul writes in this letter. And we, last week, we introduced this letter and tried to got, talked about some of the background of all the stuff that's going on and why Paul's writing it. And so if you haven't, if you don't, you know, if you weren't here last week, you should go back and watch it online. Um, but this week, we're going to be looking at how Paul... Right, as he's writing this letter, he's sitting in a Roman prison, and, um, and he's writing this letter to a new little group of Christians that live in a small, really insignificant city called Colossae, which was located in the Roman Empire. And actually, Paul's never even been to this city. And really, the problem that Paul's addressing in this letter is that the city of Colossae is super diverse. Uh, there's different people groups from all over the world there. There's all these different religions and all these different beliefs, and um, they're getting a little confused on who Jesus is is. And so this brand new church, these brand new Christians are being told uh, by all these other beliefs and all these other people within their community saying, hey, sure, you could go ahead and believe Jesus. That's totally fine. Believe in that Jesus guy who died a few years ago and you're saying he rose again from the dead and is actually God. You can believe that. But if you want to be spiritually elite, I mean, you want to be like the top of the top when it comes to spirituality, there's a few things you're going to have to do. 
And so this young church is convinced that they can start with Jesus and then advance by doing things. And really what they end up doing is they're merging all these different beliefs in with Jesus. And we see the same thing today. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of religions out there, but there's also a lot of Christian churches that say, yeah, you could start with Jesus, but then you advance by doing this and this and this and this and this. You got to do all this stuff in order uh, to really have a good relationship with Jesus. You have to do all these things. And, uh, and really what we end up doing is we're merging Jesus with all these surrounding beliefs. We do the same thing. And so these people, they want to change, which is good, right? Like we should all want to change. It should be a good thing. We should all want to grow. But they believe that you grow by doing things, by going through the lists, by checking all these things off. And, uh, and remember, this church is new, right? They haven't been Christians for very long. Uh, Christianity is a new thing. Jesus had just died just a few years before. They didn't even have the whole Bible to go by. And so Paul writes to them really for two reasons. Number one, he wants to correct them on their thinking, but he also wants to encourage this new young church. And basically kind of the gist of it is here's Paul. He's writing them. He's saying, hey, guess what? Man, I got some good news for you. I got some great news. All right, it's not Jesus and this and this and this and this. It's not Jesus and anything. He's like, guess what? Here's the good news. It's simple. It's just Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do all these extra things. It's just Jesus. And as Christians, Jesus is everything. Like if you take Jesus out of the equation, it's like, the house of, it's like a house of cards. Like everything, you know, our whole belief comes tumbling down. And maybe that's why Jesus is what divides the world the most. I mean, we look through all these other religions and all these other beliefs. And, and many different people have many different ideas on who Jesus was. I mean, Muslims, for example, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, he was a good prophet, uh, a great prophet. But he was less than uh, Muhammad, which is like their main prophet. You got Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they believe that Jesus was My is Michael the Archangel. You got Mormons. They would say that God and Mary had sexual relations and Jesus was the result of that. You got Judaism who says Jesus was just a false prophet. You shouldn't listen to him. You got Hindus. They would say Jesus is the incarnation of the God Vishnu. You got Buddhism who says Jesus was a wise teacher, someone we should listen to. You got religious people in general who say uh, Jesus is a good teacher and he's a way to God, not the way to God. You got atheists and agnostics. They believe that Jesus was a real person, like he's a real guy in history, um, and he was probably a good guy. You got fake Christians out there, people who think they're Christians and they're not, who we, they kind of treat Jesus as like their errand boy, like he's there to make us more comfortable in life. And so the world is divided on what matters the most, and it all comes down to who is this Jesus guy. And if you think about it, 100 years from now, this is all that matters. Like, this is the only thing that matters. Like, every single person in this room, we will all agree that this question is the most important question that you will ever ask in your entire life. Who is he, and what do you do with him? That's the question. And here at the Colossian church, they're getting a little confused on who he is and what to do with him. And so Paul is going to take some time. Uh, today, we're going to look at, and he's going to remind them. And really what he's going to do for us this morning is he's going to remind us about who Jesus actually is. All right, you guys ready? We good? Okay. All right, here we go. That's good enough, I guess. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is the next verse where we left off last week. He says, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, uh, basically, here's Paul. He's saying, hey, you want to know what Jesus is like, 
or no, let me say that. You want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, right? Jesus is God. He's the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn over all creation, right? This firstborn, this word, it almost sounds like what Paul's trying to say is that he is, uh, he's the first thing that God created, like he, and if he created Jesus at one point in history, that means there's a point in history where Jesus didn't exist at all, right? That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, there's this word for firstborn. It's a Greek word from where we get our word prototype in English, and uh, basically meaning that Jesus is the template in which all creation was made. It's more of a position. It has nothing to do with order, right? It's uh, back in this society when, when Paul's writing this, uh, the firstborn son, right, was like super important. They're the ones that were the heirs. They got all the stuff. By the way, being a firstborn son, I feel like we should probably go back to that in our society. That would work out well for me. Um, but uh, that's, what they, that, that's what they did. And so um, basically what Paul's saying is that Jesus is the center of everything. He's first in rank. And he's first in position. That's who he is. Check this next verse out in verse 16. He says, for everything. Right? Everything. That means everything. That means you go outside, you look around, everything. You look around in here, everything, including you, right, was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. Things that you can see, things that you can't see. He says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. See, basically what Paul is saying is that God tailor-made everything for him. A few weeks ago, I was at a wedding um, of someone in our church who got married, and uh, some of you guys were there as well. And the reception of this wedding, um, you know how wedding receptions usually go, right? Like usually, a lot of times, uh, you get to order, um, you know, what kind of meat you want. So before the wedding, like when you RSVP, it's like, you know, do you want chicken, beef, pork, or vegetarian, or whatever it might be. So you kind of, you get to pick a little bit of that. But then what do you do? You sit at the wedding, and they bring you your plate, and, uh, and you get to eat. Well, this wedding that I went to a few weeks ago, at the receptions, they didn't have, at the reception, they didn't have anything like that. They had stations. Now, I'm a fan of stations. You know what stations means? It means you got options, right? And I like options when it comes to my food. And so that means I get to decide. I get to decide what I eat. I get to decide how much I eat. I get to decide when I eat. I get to decide if I want seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths. I get to decide all that stuff. And so we go to a station and uh, let's say uh, the pasta station, for example. And so you go to the pasta station and you get to pick out all the different vegetables that you want with whatever kind of pasta that you want. And then they had a guy there who would kind of put it all together and then give you the plate. I like that. Right, you go get ice cream, and so you go to the ice cream station, and you get to decide not only what type of ice cream that you want, you get to decide what kind of toppings you want on your ice cream and what kind of toppings you want mixed in. And so what ended up happening is, what do I have in my hand? I'd have a plate tailor-made for me, just the way I want it. See, that's how he's saying God originally created everything. That's how Jesus originally created everything. We were made by him for him. Now, sin has messed things 
up a little bit, um, mess things up for a while, uh, but he will take care of that someday. Actually, technically, he's already taken care of it, but he's going to finally take care of it uh, someday in the future, and it's not going to be a problem anymore. But Paul here this morning, and this is where I want it to get personal for us, Paul's saying, hey, you, you were created, all right, by Jesus, for Jesus. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. By the way, you know what your primary purpose in life is? Your primary purpose in life is to know Jesus, right? Just not know about Jesus, but to know Jesus, figure out what he wants you to do, and to do it. Right? That's, your, that's your purpose in life. And so Paul's saying, you were created, tailor-made the way that God wanted you to be. And really, everything was tailor-made the way that God wanted it to be. And you were created for Jesus, and you were created by Jesus. In the next verse, he says, Jesus is before all things. All right, Jesus right here, he's saying, it's, it's, he's before all things. Like a billion years ago, he knew you. A billion years ago, he knew exactly how you were going to be. He knew exactly what you were going to do. There's nothing that you could possibly do that's going to throw God off to go, you know, some, you know, to say, whoa, I didn't know he was going to do that. Okay, that doesn't happen. All right, a billion years ago, he knew you because he's before all things, and by him, all things hold together. It's kind of funny because, you know, we think we're just sitting there. But God is literally holding you together. <laughs> Thankfully, right? Um, there's, uh, we talked about this a couple summer, or I guess it was last summer. Um, we talked about uh, physics. I didn't get a good grade in physics in college, so I'm no expert or anything like that. But uh, physicists, I mean, you look at like the atom, which is what the ba basic building block of anything. Um, and uh, the atom is held together by this special force. And you'd think physicists would come up with like a sweet name for that force because, you know, they got all the degrees and doctors and all this stuff. But uh, they, it's literally called the strong force that holds everything together. We don't know why. We as humans, we don't know why it's there. We don't know what it is really. All we can do is look at it and observe that it exists. Right? It, that, that's all we can do. And so, yeah, G, Paul's saying Jesus is actively holding everything together. Like he is literally the strong force. He owns the strong force. Jesus is the one who actually created and invented the strong force. And so it matters. Um, a few, I guess this was a couple days ago, um, I was putting the, the boys to bed. I got two boys, they share the same room. And um, one of them was like, hey, should we pray? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we should pray. All right, let's pray before we go to bed. And um, they both took turns praying. And one of my boys, um, he, I mean, he wasn't taking it very serious. And he's, you know, how kids are. You know, he starts praying. He's like, oh, dear God, thank you for um, my toy. Thank you. You know, he's talking like this. And as a dad, I'm, you know, I'm with him and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know if that's good. Like, I'm reading, you know, I've been reading through Colossians all week and I'm like, let me just interrupt real quick. Just a second, God, we'll get back to you, you know. Uh, hey, um, and I start asking him, I'm like, you know you're praying to God of the universe, right? I get they're young. But I'm like, I feel like as a dad, like I should correct this. Like you're praying to God. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put it in ways that, you know, they can understand. I'm like, you know, he could, like, kill you at any time, <laughs> you know? I don't know if that's good to tell your kid or not, but it's true, right? 
I'm like, he's holding you together and he could decide not to do that whenever he wants. And so it's probably a pretty important thing that you take talking to him, your creator, your God, your, your dad, in a sense, um, serious. You know, like, I get you young, but this is a, you know, you're talking to God of the universe here. And so I'm trying to explain that, that he is their owner and he is their creator. That's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. See, it's because he is the owner and because he is our creator that he is also the head of the body, which Paul's talking about the church. Okay, we get that. Like, we come to church, we're like, yeah, who are we going to worship? Jesus. You know, we all do that. We all, we all know that. Like, Jesus is a part of this. All right, he's our leader. He's the one we look up to. By the way, he's the only reason why we're all here today, because he died for us. And he says he is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Notice that he doesn't say second place or third place or, yeah, we have all these important things. And, and he's up there on the list somewhere. He doesn't say that. No, he, so that he might be come to have first place in everything, right? Like everything in the world, including everything in your life. I mean, is that kind of crazy? That includes your life, meaning your professional life, your financial life, your online life, right? your, your home life, your school life, your private life. I mean, if Jesus is not first place in your life, I mean, no matter how you order your entire life, your whole life is out of order, all right? It's just how it is. If he's not number one in your life, your whole life is out of order. I mean, you can move the pieces around all that you want in your life. That's totally fine. But if he's not number one, if he's not at the tippy top, if he's not over your, your career, if he's not over even your spouse or your, or your kids, if he's not over all the things that you love in your life, then your life is messed up. Your life is out of whack, God doesn't want a second. God doesn't do seconds very well. Like, that's just not his thing. He's not into your leftovers at all. He doesn't want your leftovers. See, no matter what, all right, Jesus will be first in your life, all right? No matter you believe in him or not, whether you buy into this or not, all right, Jesus will be someday first in your life. He will be first as your savior or he will be first as your judge, one or the other. That's how someday we will all be divided. I mean, here's your options. You can either bow or bow. That's how this thing goes down. That's how it all ends here. And so he's first, and he's number one in everything, and he's all that matters. In verse 19, he says, for God was pleased. All right, that's, I've been reading that this week. I'm like, dang, that's kind of crazy. That God's pleased, like he delights in, he finds joy, he finds happiness to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And through Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Here's Paul, he's trying, he's like, I mean, if you think about this just a little bit beneath the surface level, I mean, this is huge. This is crazy. Right? Think about it. God of the universe who spoke things into existence just the way he wanted it. He tailor-made the universe um, the way he wanted it, and, and he did it just by using words. Like, he didn't, it didn't work. He wasn't sweating at all. Like, oh, man, that was a tough start to make. No, he just spoke it, and it happened because he's all-powerful. That God of the universe bleeding for man. It's crazy to think about. 
right? Like, it's a story unlike any other. It's not he's just some historical figure or Jesus was a prophet or a moral man or a wise teacher, just a good guy. He's different, and he's the only one who could save us because he was God. John, um, one of Jesus's, you know, best friends really here on earth, um, who was with Jesus for about three years during Jesus' public ministry, John puts it this way. This is what he writes in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, okay? In the beginning, meaning before anything existed. It's interesting that he uses this phrase because throughout the rest of the book of John, you know what he says? He says, from the beginning. He says that a lot. And what he means by from the beginning is he's pointing back to um, to basically when John first met Jesus, when he's pointing back to the beginning of Jesus' basically three-year um, ministry. And so he keeps saying, from the beginning, Jesus has been saying this, Jesus has been doing this, he's been doing all this from the beginning. But here he says something different to start off his letter. He's like, no, not from the beginning, like not from some place in time. He says, in the beginning, meaning this transcends time. Jesus was there. He says, in the beginning was the word. John, he's talking about Jesus. In fact, for the rest of it, I'll just, I'll just put Jesus' name in there just for it to help us click in our minds. He says, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And he was with God in the beginning. He says, all things were created through Jesus, and apart from Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. And in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men, meaning he gave us life. Let's skip to verse 10. Right? He says, Jesus was in the world, and the world was created through who? Jesus. And yet the world, when he came down, didn't recognize Jesus. And so Jesus came to his own. But Jesus' own people did not receive him, his own people that he created. But to all who did receive him, that's those of us, by the way, in this room who have given our lives over to Jesus, which isn't everybody in here, but probably the majority of us. So those of us who have done that, we received him. It says Jesus gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. So not only were we, like, you know, before we... We'll find out in just a second that we're actually enemies of God. But here he's saying, hey, he came down so that he could adopt us and we could become heirs, firstborn, just like Jesus is. We could become heirs of God, of the same God who created the universe using words. He says these people who are born not of natural descent right, or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God, meaning God's the one who made this possible. He says the word then, or Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He's like he was one of us. He says we observed his glory. Right? John's saying, he's like, man, I saw it. I saw this with my own eyes. I was with Jesus. He had spent three years where basically he heard basically everything that Jesus said, and he uh, saw all the things that Jesus did. And he's saying, so I've observed his glory. He says, the glory is the one and the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, here he's saying, he's saying, hey, you know, I get some of this is confusing. All right, this is confusing stuff. By the way, it makes logical sense. Uh, for us, that if God is real, logically, there would be parts of God that we shouldn't be able to understand. Does that make sense? Otherwise, we'd be like as smart as God. 
So if God is a real being, there should be parts of God that we don't understand. This is one of them. Um, here, what both John and Paul are alluding to is that God exists in three persons. And you've heard this before, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, it's confusing, right? These aren't three different gods or three different beings. These are one, all right? All three existed in eternity, in eternity past, and all three are one God. Now, can I wrap my mind around that? No. <laughs> I can't, but it's what God has showed us and it's what God has told us. See, I think a lot of times, those of us who are Christians, I mean, we, we read the Bible, we try to read the Bible, and we read both, hopefully, Old Testament and New Testament, and we view, I feel like a lot of us, we kind of naturally view the Old Testament God as like, yikes, that God's kind of harsh. Like, I don't know, I'm glad I didn't live back then, it's like he was doing this and this and this, and yeah, you know, he didn't, it doesn't seem like, like, where's the grace and all that? But then we view, then we read the New Testament, we see Jesus, and for a lot of us, you know, we're like, I like that. Like, this is the God that, you know, Jesus, he's sacrificing for us, he's helping the poor, he's healing people, he's doing all this stuff, like, that's awesome. And so we view, like, you know, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God as different, but here's the deal, uh, they're the same guy. It's the same God. It's the same person. The Old Testament God is Jesus. It's like a lot of us, I think we start to view God as like, you know, the single girl on Valentine's Day. We're just like, please love me, please love me, please love me, please love me. You know, it's like we view God like always begging us to, to love them. And uh, like almost like in, at some point in history where God, before he made man, was like, oh, I need someone to love me. I am so bored and I am so lonely. You know what I'll do? I'll make me a bunch of children who sing songs to me on the weekends and do whatever they want during the week. That sounds like a good idea to me. That's what I'll do. And at least they'll love me for part of the time. You know, that's not God. That's not how it went. God doesn't need our love. This is what we got to understand. God was a, in a perfect love relationship in and of himself. He doesn't need us. He already had love. He was already loved and he already and he, he already loved, you know, within himself, right? In fact, the Bible tells us that he is love. And so before us, God had a perfect relationship with himself between the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so here's John and both Paul, right, trying to get us to understand that God and Jesus are the same. And that Jesus is actually the image of the invisible God. And that God voluntarily came down and it pleased him for some reason to rescue us, even though it cost him big time. Paul explains in the last couple of verses, he says, one time, once, you were alienated and hostile. Do you realize that before you became a Christian or before you gave your life over to Jesus, that you were actually an enemy of God? See, we don't view it that way. We're like, what do you mean, enemy of God? Like, I mean, I, I didn't hate God or nothing. You know, sure, I did some things that I probably shouldn't have done. But those things, I mean, it's not that bad. Right? Like, that's how we view our sin. And that's really part of the problem is we don't understand that we were willingly enemies of God. Like, Paul just explained how, per, how powerful God is and that how he owns all. And he's the first and he's the best and, and he's the most powerful thing out there. And he, and he did all this stuff. And, you know, naturally I think we, we'd think after reading that, like, who would want to be an enemy of a God that powerful? Well, you were. I was. 
See, we were enemies, and our problem is we just don't think sin is that big of a deal. But it is a huge deal to God. Because you know what? God is perfectly just, which is bad news for us. Meaning it's right for him to punish wrong and sin and evil, stuff that we all have within our life. It has to be paid for. Like sin has to be, that's, that's the right thing for him to do. That's what's right. Jesus will never overlook your sin. Right? He doesn't overlook sin. Like at no point will he say, oh, don't worry about it. Hey, why don't you come over here? Let's just hug it out. He doesn't say that. That doesn't happen. He doesn't look over at the things that we do wrong and say, it's kind of cute. He doesn't do that. It's not cute to him. It is a big, big deal. So once you were alienated and hostile, once you were an enemy in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, he's saying our actions are evil. It's not cute. It's evil. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through what? His Death, his death on the cross. He's saying that's how he's able to do it. I mean, his death is when he paid for everything that we've ever done wrong. Like if there was another way, think about it. If there was another way, if there was another religion that got us to heaven or whatever, then God completely wasted his death. Like, I don't know. It seems like to me, like God's a pretty smart guy. Um, it seems like to me, if there was another way, like he had skipped the whole getting beat and tortured and nailed to a piece of wood part. Like, that's the part I would skip. Seems like he would skip that too. Like, if there's another way, then the eternal king who stepped off of his throne for a rescue mission, if there's another way, then he completely did that for nothing. You remember uh, the last night before Jesus died? When he goes into that garden and he spends some time with the Father and, he, and he's praying to the Father. Remember what he says? Remember what he asks him? He says, God, if there's any other way, he says, Father, if there's any other way, like, I don't know, like, if there's some plan B that I, as God, just am unaware of, let's do plan B because this seems like an awful waste of my blood tomorrow. Let's do a different way if there is another way. But there is no other way, right? He's the only one who could pay it. And so he has reconciled us by his physical body through his death when he died on the cross, when the Bible tells us he poured out his wrath on himself. His, the punishment that we all deserve, and he paid our debt. And he says he does this to present who? You. Those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus as holy, faultless, and blameless. What's that mean? That means, check this out, this is crazy. All right? We're evil and we're messed up. Paul's already explained that to us. And he's saying he chose, God in the universe chose to come down to the dirt we, as his own creation, put him to death. And while he was on the cross, God pours out his wrath on himself. And now when he looks at us, he did that so he can present us as holy, faultless, and faultless and blameless. Meaning, now when he looks at us, he doesn't see the blackness of our heart that's all there for each and every one of us. You know what he sees? He sees himself. Because he wiped it clean. Our debt that every single one of us owed, which is a bigger thing than we could possibly pay for. We can't pay for our debt. He's saying it was paid for for us. And so what's he see? He sees no debt. We don't owe anything. He actually sees us as holy, faultless, and blameless before him. He sees Jesus' righteousness when he looks at us at our debt problem. He says, if indeed you remain grounded. Now, this word if... I feel like we, we view this word as like, you know, um, 
It's like, hey, if we do a bunch of good stuff, like if we're good, I knew this part was in there, like if we do this and if we do that, like if we get baptized or if we're a good person or if we take communion or if we go to church or if we read the Bible or if we pray or if we help others and do all the good stuff or if we're a good worker for our employer or whatever it might be. See, the word if sounds conditional. It's not if you do these things. Paul, he's already explained what the if is. It's if you believe. And it's even more than that. It's actually if you give, make the decision to give your life to Jesus, then you'll start doing more and more good. See, this is what we talked about last week. Here's where everybody gets mixed up. All right? Last week we talked about how we begin our relationship with Jesus, then we experience change. It's not the other way around. You know what the other way around is? Religion does the other way. Religion says, no, 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 you, you change, and then you get a relationship with Jesus. Or you change, you do all this good stuff, and then God invites you to heaven. That's how religion teaches. The, the true Christianity, or what Paul's saying here, is completely the opposite. It's not that way. It's no, no, no. We, it's, it's not we try to do all this good stuff to impress Jesus. It's we give up on doing good stuff. It's we give up and say, okay, I get it. I can't do this on my own. There's no possible thing that I could possibly do to somehow impress you. It's what you did. And so it's when we give up and we trust in what he did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. Then the Bible says God moves into our life and then we experience change. Not the other way around. It's relationship first, then change. He says, if you indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shift, shifted away from the hope of the gospel, that's the good news of what Jesus has done, that you heard. He says, this gospel, this great news that Jesus came down, left his throne, died for us, has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. That's how big of a deal it is. And so all that that we looked at this morning, all that that Paul is describing, that's the story of Jesus. That's what we call, that's what the Bible calls the gospel. That's the good news. It's that Jesus stepped off his throne. He came down to the dirt. He experienced what we experienced. He was born to a lower middle class family. He experienced pain and rejection and temptation and probably the death of his dad and probably the death of, of good friends. He experienced sickness and family problems and betrayal from, from some of the people who were most loyal to him. And then he experienced death in a gruesome way. And that was God of the universe who was the first of all who created Everything Taylor made for him. And as he died, God poured out his wrath that we earned, not him, on himself. And so he accomplished two things there. He demonstrated his love for us, unbelievable love that I can't even comprehend or even come close to comprehending. But he also satisfied his righteous wrath. And he paid for it. Meaning Jesus died for you in spite of you. And so the question is, who is this Jesus guy? Who is this Jesus guy and what do I do with him? That's what divides us. That's what divides the world. And that's really the only thing that matters. And so I don't know where you're at, man. I don't, a lot of you people, I, you know, I, I don't know you at all. And I'm just saying, if you can't think of a time in your life where you have given your life over to Jesus, we're not born Christians, right? We're not 
born with this like relationship, um, there's a choice that we have to make in our life. It's a decision that we have to make. And if you can't remember a time in your life where you have acted, actually made that decision or committed yourself to him or understood that, yeah, 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 it's what he did, it's not in my good stuff. If you can't think of it to a time in your life, I'm just saying, I'm not saying 100%. I'm just saying, man, that's a red flag. Like, I would be trying to figure that out. Today would be a perfect day to do that. Remember, God doesn't owe you tomorrow. He doesn't owe us the next hour. It's all a gift. We don't have unlimited time. And I would encourage you, just like I did last week, Make that decision today. Go on a walk. It's not between you and your spouse, not between you and your, your friend or you and your mom or you and anybody else, okay? This is a, it's a conversation you need to have between you and your creator. Give your life over to him. Let go of whatever that is that's been holding you off on that or holding you back. He cares for you. He rescued you to give you a chance. And he liked it. He delighted in it. It pleased him to do it. Give your life over to him. Let's pray. God, we um, thank you for this and thank you for these words. And it's very complicated at times. But Lord, we thank you for showing us who you are. And explaining that to us and God, you are the first. You're, you're, you're the most important thing. You're at the top. You hate our leftovers. God, we ask that we would, if there's anybody in here, that we'd give our lives over to you. And that those of us who have already done that, that we would make you the first, the priority in our life. Lord, we thank you for loving us. For some reason you do. Even though we actively rebel against you. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.